Greetings, and welcome to episode nine of the Heavy Metal Bebop podcast, a series of conversations about jazz and metal. I'm your host, Hank Steamer. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, please consider subscribing to the show and Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review there, spreading the word via social media, or even just telling a friend. Any kind of shout-outs are hugely appreciated. And as always, in addition to Apple Podcasts, the show is also available at heavymetalbebop.podbean.com. That's heavymetalbebop.podbean.com, or via the Podbean app. So this time around, we've got four guests on the show. The entirety of the band Pieron, guitarist Dylan DeLella, bassist Eric Malave, vocalist Doug Moore, and drummer Steve Schwegler. Pieron formed in 2008, and during the past 10 years or so, they've become one of the standout heavy bands in New York. At their core, Pieron are an extremely intense death metal band, but over time they've incorporated elements of noise rock and free improvisation into their sound, resulting in fascinating, unclassifiable albums like 2014's The Mother of Virtues and 2017's What Passes for Survival. In 2016, they released an EP, Running Out of Skin, that featured two entirely improvised tracks, and at that point I knew I wanted to speak to them for this series. I met the band at Doug's apartment in Queens, and we discussed how they arrived at their unique sound, their backgrounds in jazz and metal, and the challenges and rewards of blending death metal with various sorts of avant-garde or improvisational musics. All right, let's get into it. You'll hear a little bit of the unraveling hegemony of grasping fears from What Passes for Survival, and after that, my conversation with Piron. <laughs> genesis of me wanting to speak to you guys for this was definitely that that ep the running out of skin ep where it's like there's actually free playing going on in that and like you know very, it definitely like struck me i'm not sure i can think of that many other examples where there's like a metal band of any kind and then there's actual open improvisation like in that form so i guess i thought maybe we could start with that just be like how you know how how did it get to that point where a death metal band is is wanting to do that. How how did you know how did the actual session happen? I mean, just anything you could tell me about that would be cool. But actually, maybe you guys should introduce yourself first so people know like who's where. Okay. Yeah. I'm Dylan. I play guitar. Yeah. Um, Eric, I play bass. I am Doug. I'm the vocalist. I'm Steve. I'm doing the drums. Cool. Um, playing the fucking tubs. So where, the tubs. Did that, where did that all start? Well, uh, I mean, I guess. Originally, we, we slowly introduced improvisation into the music, and originally we would just have a small section of the song that would implement that would implement free improvisation. Um, and I guess we just got to a point where we wanted to try a more fleshed out version of that. Um, yeah, the specific circumstances that produced it, as I recall them at least, um, were that uh, we. 
We're working with Alex, our original drummer still at that time, Alex Cohen, who um, has, I'm sure, come up on the podcast definitely, before. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, so we were working with Alex at that time, and uh, basically we all kind of knew that for various ways we were going to go in our, our own separate directions soon, and that we'd be probably bringing in a new drummer. Um, but we were still having fun playing music together, and we wanted to um, record one last thing with Alex mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. before he took off. Um, and you know, Alex being a guy with such a like jazz and improvisation oriented background, and also with the frankly the time constraints that we had for executing a release, we decided that we would try to like push the um, improvisational sort of sub thread in our sound up to like a bigger format. So, mm-hmm. um, so we ended up doing for that recording was there was one song that we had written that was mostly you know a structured piece of music for the most part, but we just in that particular song, we included a lot more sort of loose partial structuring um, and an extensive, just like completely free improv section. And then we also just did a couple of improvisations in the studio on top of that because we were expecting to have basically just you know, time to fill on the recording that mm-hmm, we wanted mm-hmm. to try that stuff out with. Um, yeah, and those were just even like, let's do a short one and like let's, or let's play for a while and see what we can, like what comes out. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, just very, very spontaneous. Um, but even just, like, we'd been trying to stretch, like, the looseness, like, of the timing of the parts, I guess, like, a while ago. Like, right, like, even, structured-ish um, yeah, parts. Yeah, exactly. yeah, And just, we just got, like, the bug and just kept pushing that idea until we had just straight improvisation in one song. And then just, once we did that, it was like, let's just, let's just get, like, not get out of our system, but let's just see what just straight improv we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, we always sort of start practices like that where we'll just start mm. playing. And once everyone's like, once the drums are set up and, and the guitar and the amps are on, we'll just start playing for a while. Um, that's like a warm up, but just really just improvising. Yeah. Um, our rehearsals have a larger proportion of improvisation than our actual material or live show mm-hmm, does mm-hmm. by a lot. Even the live show has more than the recordings do, but um, mm-hmm. we actually spend kind of a lot of time doing it as a band, um, just because you need to, in order to do it effectively, you just must invest time and learn how to communicate with each other well. Right. So, um, so it was a thread that started all the way back on our first LP, and like gradually was expanded upon until we got to the point where the circumstances came together. We wanted to do a recording that was more uh, focused on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So in in the session, though, like when you when you did that. Like like so so the vocals are live with the with the improv or was it more like the vocals? Well, were... because of the studio that we were in, there was no vocal booth. Okay. We recorded at Alex's uh, little sort of home studio. Yeah. Um. So we recorded the instrument, the instruments uh, as a unit, um, and then I basically added the vocals in a somewhat improvisational way on top of the recordings. Right. I would just like write a few phrases down, just sitting there, um, waiting for the the session, like my the vocal session to start, and then I would you know, kind of just uh, perform them in an improvisational way, mm, you know. Mm, mm. So um, so it wasn't, like, completely a full band improvisation, but it, even the vocal uh, recordings are, like, improvisational in that sense. Yeah, totally. We could have all done it together, though. We just didn't have... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no, like, there's no reason a, a performance related that we could yeah, have done that. Ideally, we would have. Yeah, yeah. Probably. Right. No, I think that I, I certainly would have preferred to because yeah. a lot of what we do improvisationally is... Boils down to a lot of visual cueing. There's lots of you know, eye contact communication. Mm, so, mm. Um, so 
ideally when we're doing that stuff, you know, as a band live, there's always a lot of, you know, visual um, mm-hmm. communication going on. So. Were you going to say something? No. Okay. I was not actually there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, he wasn't so there. Towards, so, oh, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. So, yeah, towards the end, I just sort of hung out at the studio, and Colin was like, hey, what's up? I was like, I, I didn't play on oh, this. Oh, yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll mix that recording, and Colin okay. was asking, this is Colin Marston, was asking Steve questions about the drum performance. I was like, yeah, they sound great. And he was just like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Alex is good. That yeah. was good. Right. Yeah. 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 But, but so, so you were saying, Eric, like this idea of wanting to, like, you know, open things up maybe like you know bring out like more looseness or something and like i was i was thinking about that idea and the fact that like so much metal is about kind of removing all chance or removing all looseness or just making it sound as as sort of like regimented and you know as we all know with like the the you know the triggers and the yeah. tools and everything like like it's pushing so far in another direction so i guess i'd like to hear about you know taking it back like this tracing this trend or this uh element of the band like like how, how did it get in there that idea that you wanted to make it more loose and i think probably i was dylan just sort yeah of it was dylan's idea originally out song ideas and then i mean i guess because there's like there's a lot of elements that that aren't a lot of musical elements that we bring to the to the band that aren't metal based and like you know i used to love like I used to love all that like really technical death metal, like very like ne- necrophagous, very pristine, like shreddy and, and clean sounding. And we just, I guess it just got a little tired, kind of like in, in my mind at least. And I think probably we all agree that like thing, you know, we don't always love when everything's perfect and, and just sort of like the, I mean, I guess punkish aspects even are just, I mean, Someone mentioned the Sonic Youth influence before, and I know like I didn't even know them before I joined the band, really. Um, but hearing all of that cool like no wave shit, even uh, sort of feels like not like rebelling on purpose, but but kind of just like let's just get away from that and see what chance and what spontaneity will do, because it's like it's just we just sort of forced it, I guess. <laughs> really, it's like we had no idea what we were doing. I mean. Yeah, we were pretty young when we started messing with this, you know, like the, the first times that we were starting to play with the idea of, you know, improvisation or just like, you know, sort of more raw performances even, you know, like getting away from the highly quantized, you know, super yeah. polished, compressed sound of like late 20 aughts technical death metal. That's when we formed, right? That was what was around, like the dominant bands were... I was playing a five-string yeah. fretless Yeah, bass right, yeah. The <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah, the dominant, dominant bands were in technical death metal were, you know, bands like, uh, you know, like Necrophagist or uh, um, Obscura, the German yeah. band, you yeah. know, with Hans Grossman and like the fretless bass, you know, decrepit birth, that type of thing. Um, and yeah, I think to some extent it came out of sort of a more like punk rockish, almost like antagonistic um, impulse, mm. like we just you know, that stuff was really being shoved down everyone's throats at that time, um, and we just like kind of got fed up with it eventually. Um, it also must be said that we realized pretty quickly that we couldn't do that ourselves. We're just like not that kind of musicians who can yeah, do like the uh, hyper pristine, yeah. you know, like yeah. uh, you know DVD player style of performance. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, we had that, that's just not who any of any of us are really so um I was. yeah yeah I mean, well, well, well eric, eric could have been you know eric, eric was on the path yeah. um and then basically yeah yeah um i think that um uh dylan and i would talk a lot about um in the early days of the band 
get taking things in a more uh, live and loose and noisy sounding mm. direction mm. just because it seemed like that wasn't being done. Certainly improvisation in a heavy context was not being done. No. Especially not for like an extreme metal context, right? Um, but yeah, Dylan's the one who actually really was the originator of that premise. So maybe you can explain where it came from. Yeah, I mean, I've just always had an, imp- an interest in improvisational music. And there's a certain energy that improvisational music has, whether it's, you know, really intense and high energy or if it's more restrained. There's always this like really intense energy to it. And I just felt like that could be applied to a metal context Mm, mm. and i don't know it was just always something that i kind of had in the back of my mind like i I wished that more metal or just any metal bands would kind of take a chance and use improvisation and so it was sort of just like a bucket list thing that i had as a musician as i was developing in my like late teens and early 20s um so i don't know it's it's hard to pinpoint but we as we mentioned we kind of introduced it by just having uh, isolated sections with free improvisation and I guess we moved it in more of like a uh, structured improvisational context in the, the more recent stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I feel like I'm kind of starting to meander uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> there's the you know Gorbet's Obscura yeah it's well, just like you know sort of blows your mind like when you first hear it uh, that sort of just approach to just making really noisy, like, like aggressive stuff. It didn't have to be, you know, it wasn't like hard because it was super technical, but it was like, how is he making those sounds? You yeah, know? And like, right. Thinking about what you can do with, with the guitar, like riffs are sick. I love riffs. Like this, it's basically just a noise machine you're holding. Like you can do so much mm-hmm. with it. Um, yeah. I think that was actually a really sort of key insight that we early on that we developed to be able to do this is that you you can improvise without um, playing with a whole lot of rules, of which of course is a very old concept in jazz, right? You know, um, but in uh, the world of heavy music that comes from more of a rock direction, you know, punk or metal or whatever, um, there were some people who obviously, you know, play with that concept long before we did, um, but uh, I'm not sure that when I first came across stuff like, you know, like Naked City or a lot of the, you know, Zorn bands or yeah. Last Exit or uh, um, even um, uh, Abruptum, the the black metal mm-hmm. band, had mm-hmm. that the one record that's like heavily improvised. Yeah. I didn't understand that's what was going on. I just, you know, I, didn't, I thought they, they were just playing really weird notes. So, <laughs> um, so it, like, and so of course, like, when, when later on we're trying to, you know, incorporate this into Puron, we're not going to be like improvising you know, in, in a key that just wasn't appropriate for the vibe of the band. Yeah. So, um, so just developing the concept of like, you know, noise improvisation where it's about texture and, and, you know, rhythm and energy more so than it is about, you know, um, playing a heroic guitar solo that like, you know, right. resolves in a very satisfying way eventually. <laughs> um, like that was something that we, you know, um, have like basically spent a lot of time learning how to do appropriately um, mm-hmm. because it's though it seems like it might be easy it's obviously not <laughs> easy yeah. to do effectively so well then there's all the all like the the psych rock and like psych jazz stuff like mod Vishnu orchestra yeah yeah that's all like big that influence for us it's like they're jamming it's like they're like you know listen like it's like they're jamming but it's just way noisier and jazzier uh and uh 
just stretching things out in the way that they would do it. You know, definitely, it was just felt like there there's no reason that they shouldn't be heavier. Like that that a band like that couldn't just be playing death metal, but also right. in that vein. Um, and so, you know, we get to do that. And it's yeah. fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so really cool. Fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like like the average the average like rehearsal now, you're saying that it will almost always sort of start that way or. Um, I'd say more often than not, we usually just jam to start the rehearsal just because it's fun, you know, and it's just a good way to warm up. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily even intentional half the time. Yeah. Just, <laughs> now, most of the time, by the time we get to the room, we're just trying to blow off steam or do this or that, yeah, or just yeah. loosen up and just kind of start communicating. And sometimes, you know, a couple of us will just be messing around and then it just turns into like a 20 or 30 yeah. minute. One of us <laughs> likes the thing that that guy's doing. It's like, yeah. oh, no, no, we're not stopping yeah. this. We're going to keep <laughs> yeah. doing this. Yeah. For that, t- that doesn't always happen. No, not always. But more often. It happens halfway th- more often than we're intending to. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to just let it happen, you know. Yeah. It mm-hmm. is it's time that's valuable. It's you know, it makes us a better band to do that on a regular mm-hmm. basis, but definitely. Um, yeah, you can't I really think it's a, you know, it's a muscle like anything else being able to interact with a certain set of other musicians like that. Yeah. And there's a reason that um, you know, long periods of time spent together produce like really high level improvisation so but when that's happening will you be doing vocals yeah 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 like like improvising yeah yeah it's you know noise slash death metal vocal scatting effectively you know like I I do a lot of I've got a lot of you know vocal ticks that are outside of the death metal barking dog box you know so that I can (laughs) um, you know use to like uh you know, like make interesting noise textures occur and stuff like that, or add you know rhythmic elements to it. Yeah. Um, I also recently started um, messing with looping a lot more, which has like inc- you know inc- uh, expanded my ability to um, do weird noise stuff that kind of you know helps to advance the energy of an improvisation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, in in terms of like you know you, you like you pointed to Gorguts as sort of like a you know you know maybe something that's like set off a light bulb, but like. Like when when you first started doing this, I mean, like you know, I was just sort of like a being today, like the the first EP versus like the more recent <laughs> yeah. stuff. Like, and it's so you know, it's so it's so much more like you know, like you were saying, like early stuff, like very riff based. Like you know, there's still kind of like you can tell that it's moving outside of like conventional death metal or something like that. But it's like you know, it, it the songs are kind of the songs. Yeah, yeah. Then, that like, first EP especially, there's no improvisation on it yet. Right. Eric right. wasn't out of band yet at that time. Okay. Um, and our original bassist um, was a straight-ahead metal guy. He just did not... I mean, like, he probably could have learned to improvise, but he had no interest in doing it. Right. Um, we didn't really start trying to incorporate that concept until Eric was in the band because Eric, we knew, had the capacity to play like that. Um, and the interest and the, yeah. the open-mindedness, frankly, to give it a shot, which, you know... It's especially at that time, you know, two thousand eight or nine. This is like it was not easy to find people who were willing to play with us and who had the interest both in like you know the sort of um, idiomatic death metal yeah. side of the band as well as all these other outside you know influences that were not super obvious intuitive matches for what we were doing. So, but when you when you oh, so like when, when Eric when you joined and Steve when you joined was was that like um, you know. It's not like some job interview when you join a band, but I'm saying like, was there a sense of like, let's let's make sure these people are down with that I, concept? I, I did an audition, uh, <laughs> technically, right? Um, well, you were brought in as a fill-in initially. Yeah, yeah. I was just because the the old bassist went went abroad and uh, for school, and I just was supposed to fill in on some shows, and 
uh, I just learned their stuff off the MySpace, <laughs> the MySpace page, and uh, and came in and we played. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I was like, I was in a totally different place as a musician. I was still only twenty years old um, at the time. Um, we pretty much knew Eric was an immediate fit right from the get go with the the first jam that we had. Yeah, yeah, I remember the moment was because he was improvising. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was just kind of he just was messing just, around. Yeah, he was just playing, like yeah. just standing. It's like we were getting ready to, to practice, and he was just like Noodling doing around. some some bizarre improvisation. <laughs> and Dylan and I kind of looked at each other. We're just like. <laughs> I had, already, all right. <laughs> I had already been, like, come from a place where playing, like, all sorts of different music, um, and, uh, and so I spent, I spent a lot of time just playing, like, metal and learning, like, just tabs of, you know, metal songs I like, but also, like, playing, like, funk and blues and jazz, like, not so much jazz, I never really learned, like, how to, like, walk, but there's, like, plenty of jazz songs with like a form or a structure yeah um and so i was already interested like in improvising i just didn't know that i could just throw them together until we had uh, until i joined Huron, and then everything changed <laughs> um, um as for steve um yeah my, yeah, situ- yeah. my situation was a different situation it was yeah. a lot different i mean yeah. we Doug and I have known each other for like almost 15 years now. At this yeah, point. yeah. Like we roughly. met in high school. We so. met in high school over the internet, over the old, yeah. you know, AOL Instant Messenger or whatever yeah. you want to, you know, someone knew something. And uh, so I got to listen to the evolution of Piron over a long period of time. I already could tell that improvisation was a big deal and could already tell that just using all the elements that you wanted to use to just sort of develop a lexicon, I guess for lack of a better word, is that like... You just had to be able to accept all those things and be willing to do those things to join the band. I, I, I essentially learned, <laughs> I essentially learned a bunch of the material on the sly, for as as much as I basically could. Like I started picking up like Mother of Virtues era songs and just learned as basically as many of them as I could on headphones and was playing them and basically was like, hey, I'm coming home on leave. Let's jam. You know, let's hang out and <laughs> like put us in this like practice space somewhere. And we were playing, and they were like, "Where'd you learn all this shit?" <laughs> so I mean, like, um, I, I didn't have it 100 percent for sure. I mean, I didn't know all the cues or anything, but I mean, that was something I was like more than willing to do. And was just like, I just had my head set and being like, "I'm gonna go fucking join this band right now." Yeah, we yeah. basically played all of Mother of Virtues without us showing you anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we were just calling it songs. It wasn't out. perfect, but we played yeah, yeah. basically the whole album together. <laughs> Yeah, we played the whole thing until they were like, "You guys are out of time. You have to leave." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's a we six minute record, over. so you know. Yeah, the parts off. Yeah. It was still a couple years after that until Steve could actually join the band, but we knew at that point that we had to get Steve in the band as, yeah. as soon as he was out of the military, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to wait a while. Yeah, <laughs> they did. I was like really surprised they didn't get because there's a lot of talent floating around in New York City and a lot of dudes who could have came in and, do, and, and did it. So, I mean, I was just like, it was sort of fortuitous that timing lined up and that I was just like, hey guys, don't forget me. You know, like I'm still, you know. <laughs> so I showed up out of the time machine and then I just sort of was like, okay. You know? <laughs> I mean, New York guys are just so busy. And everybody's, like, yeah, exactly. You had... Uh, you'd done an interview with Kenny, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He, he actually played a set with us cause, that Alex couldn't do it. Oh, okay, he, okay, like, cool. Alex showed him the songs or whatever, but, um, but yeah, we we're sort of just holding out for Steve. Yeah, <laughs> be, be, because of the highly collaborative nature of the band, we always really wanted 
um, a drummer who was not didn't just view it as like another gig sure. amongst many gigs. Someone who viewed yeah. it as their main band, you know, and their you know primary creative outlet. You know, having other projects is fine. We we all do at this point, but um, but we wanted someone who was like really committed and wanted to be like a full member who like you know wrote and was there for everything and you know helped with all of the you know you know basic just logistical details of being in a band and was like you know an equal of you know everyone in the band. Um, Alex is an amazing drummer, but he's like a very gig oriented guy. Yeah. He's you know like a, like a jazz style player. He just wants to you know have you know, lots of different projects. Um, but Steve, I I knew him very very well um, because of our you know, long personal connection and collaborations before he was in Piron. So I just we knew it was going to be a really good fit culturally as mm -hmm. well. So mm -hmm. so there wasn't really like in neither Eric nor Steve's case was there like a tryout process right. where we like grilled them and whether they knew noise rock records <laughs> or whatever. Like, but we just we just, like Eric like you know it was very early on and he just like we could tell he was going to take us in a direction we liked and Steve was basically a no quantity to us before he joined the band. Mm -hmm. So um, so there was never really any uh, um, hazing period for, for either of them. <laughs> that, that happens on tour when, <laughs> when you have to ask what band is on, like what, what band someone put on, and if you don't know it, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. We, we just you have grill, to walk to the next <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, we just grill Eric about not knowing enough 90s death metal records. Then, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah for, I guess for me, it's it all was, a good it was a... Uh, it yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, <laughs> it's fun. There's <laughs> um, definitely a push uh, from these two uh, to, like, start playing with distortion and, like, just play with a pick just because, like, of the, the aggressive nature of where the music was going. And, like, playing with your fingers has, like, less of an attack naturally. Um, and, like, there's ways to get around that tonally or whatever, but I wasn't really interested in, like, I fucking hate gear. That's what brings us all together so, in this band, really. We all, we all hate gear. So, like, so. Well, if I'm not going to get, like, a weird amp and a compressor and do that, then I'm just, I'll just play with a pick and, you know, uh, learn to love it. But that was the only grilling that ever, that ever occurred. Mm -hmm. We are basically in the same headspace as soon as like, we were in our respective positions. We're totally. almost like, we just want to do, we just want to basically smash the audience over the head <laughs> and ourselves. I, no. I hate this thing and I want it to die. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what were like some of the early ways that this improvisational mindset like made its way into sort of like the songs themselves, I guess? Like, because that's a lot of what I noticed when I listened to uh, the, the, the most recent record. Um, there, there's a, a lot of like you were saying like where it seems to be like structured and then open and then like there's a lot of like push and pull between like structure and open so like when when did the improv sort of start making its way into like the, the performable music I guess uh, I don't know I guess that was like uh, excellent servant we saw well, the first uh, new parasite has sort yeah of, well there's like a free improv section in that yeah, song yeah. and there's some other places on that record where um individual members are making noise in a freeform way, right? You know, just some spot where someone can do whatever guitar scrape they want or whatever. Yeah, like it won't matter um, what note you're hitting. I wouldn't say it was until Mother of Virtues that we really started um, composing material where um, a section was like kind of set but could be interpreted in a different way every time that we performed it. Mm. Um, uh, Excellent Servant, or the first LP, was kind of a... A proof of concept of like can we improvise in a song and the answer was yes it was like effective um and then on mother of virtues we started writing more sections where 
you know, one or two instruments could kind of do whatever they wanted, or, you know, um, there was, you know, time stretching for, like, how like long apart was uh, duration-wise, right? Um, that's when we started messing with visual cueing more often. Um, that's when it just kind of became a, like, integrated element of the sound, in my yeah. opinion, as opposed to, like, something that we were, you know, attempting at a couple t- places, but not really focusing on too much. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you wrote so much of the material. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Mother of Virtue still had a bunch of just free sessions. Yeah, right. Where, like, uh, White Flag, the, the you know, it, yeah, it's yeah. a kind of sound like a guitar solo section, but everybody is kind of improvising together and interacting, and it's an indeterminate length where I was the one who would kind of choose when we were done, basically. Yeah. And I would look at Alex and he would signal something on the drums. Um, and then there was also the title track, Mother of Virtues, where that also has yeah, that's a full probably our, our most extended free improvisation section. And that isn't structured at all. We're just basically going from something less energetic and more sparse to something, you know, louder, heavier, and more dense. But other, other than that, there was really no rule of thumb to how we were going to get from point A to point B. Um, so I feel like it, 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 we kind of just got better at that from the first record to the second record. Um, so it kind of sounds a little bit more structured at times, but it's we're still utilizing elements of free improvisation. Whereas I feel like the free improv kind of went by the wayside a little bit on the last one, but there are lots of sections where we're doing structured improvisation, where maybe two members are playing a part, but then the other two members are either improvising something entirely or they kind of have a framework, like an idea that they're sort of interpreting or playing a little bit differently or however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of that kind of like integrated within a structured part sort of looseness or just um, like uh, leeway to play the part in a lot of different ways, yeah. right? It's so just like just like you, you get from A to B, right? And like that A is certain and B is certain. Yeah. But like whatever... However, you need to get there. Like the, the, the you know, uh, the length is like more so on this. I guess there's like determined lengths of like improv, but that the the note values aren't determined. Like it's always sort of similar. I guess like um, there are certain parts where it's just loose as opposed to um, like totally free. But um, it's tricky to articulate yeah, exactly really, how we execute those parts. When we're talking uh, about it, usually it's just well. So this is like a loose part. Yeah. Someone says how it is. someone says loosely structured. We all start laughing. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then we just like try it a bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, and eventually something. Basically, we just, we just figure out what the parameters are through repetition, just like right, rehearsing yeah, the songs lots right. of times and deciding, just like playing around to see what works, like what kinds of things are possible within whatever framework we've established. Mm. So. We've also been talking about getting back into the free out, free improvisation side of our Im- improvising. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to introduce more of that material yeah. soon. The, what passes for survival didn't really have more than a couple of parts that were just like full bore free improvisation. Um, it wasn't really... That, that album is a, a little bit more structural mm-hmm. oriented mm-hmm. than um, Mother of Virtues or those EPs that in between them right, um, right, right. but but because we've been doing it so much we feel like you know it's probably time to uh, dip our toes back into that pool so yeah. to speak yeah. I mean I, I guess and I guess for the earlier material or even just when we were trying to do it it, it had to do with like 
letting something get to a certain energy and like not putting a cap on that like like so it'll be loose or like Dylan will like he was mentioning before the part where he we would be playing until there was a sort of cue and then we'll we'll leave it but that we would just let that part get to whatever energy we were feeling um and then sort of max out on that intensity and then let it go mm, um, mm. but I think that's sort of what we just there was no reason to like say okay so we'll do eight bars and we'll just build it like it's like well let's just build it and we'll see how long it took let's you know yeah maybe don't play for too long you know like I think but, the, you know yeah I think the thing that makes it most different from a lot of other metal is that we let go of the click um, and just do away with there being a, a, a downbeat that you can follow um, which is mostly unheard of in metal right oftentimes you get yeah. lots of really you get very complicated you know like compound rhythms or whatever where like you can follow it but it's just like a maze right um, the thing that I think makes Piron a really uncomfortable listening experience frankly for a lot of metal people is that there's lots of times where there just isn't a click mm. and mm. a lot of people that's like I think like learning how to listen to that it's it's like any musical technique to like really um, be comfortable with it you need to spend time with it so mm. especially in the context we wouldn't expect it so yeah, that that that's a good point. Like like that that that. I mean, I was I think I was talking to Kenny about that as well. How that happens, like in Imperial Triumphant. Too. Right. It it does feel it does feel like somewhere because even like Obscura. Like I don't think that the rhythm is ever not really a grid rhythm. No, no, it's know? always it's always on a beat. Yeah. Like the to this extent that there's like improvisation or, or free playing on Obscura, it's all just guitar things, yeah. just like wacky wacky guitar noises being made mostly by Steve Hurdle, right? Mm, um, mm. Uh, who was probably, if you're going to point to one person who was like ground zero for Piran, realizing that we could like play out, so to speak, in like the jazz sense, right. it was Steve Hurdle. 100%. And, yeah. Um, in, in, on that record in, in the Negativa EP. Absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, we actually, we actually kind of interacted with him very briefly um, right before he passed away and he was one of the first really in, people who was enthusiastic about us at all, really, um, right after we self-released the first album on Bandcamp initially, and he just found it and contacted us and was like, hey, this is amazing, you know, just was very, his, his very friendly, you know, enthusiastic <laughs> self, you know, he was just like that. Yeah. Um, um, and it was really like a big, a really big confidence booster to us, honestly, because he was one of the only people we knew of at the time who, like, was clearly... Um, in a position to understand the combination of ingredients yeah. we were trying to play with, and yeah. he just immediately signed off on it, and it really made us more comfortable going further in that direction, like thinking that it was a good idea in the first place. Because mm -hmm. of course, when we were making that initially, we were just like, we don't even, we didn't understand the forces we were playing with at all. <laughs> you know, like we were definitely, yeah, just like some early people in our early twenties in over our heads trying to make this music. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so yeah, so that's. So yeah, there's on Obscura, it's all on the grid though. I mean, it's ironic because I understand that the drummer on that record was really more of a jazz guy, mm -hmm. um, and he uh, doesn't play that way at all. He sounds like a total metal guy, and apparently, I found this out recently, he played all the songs a lot faster than he was supposed to The when they originally composed that material with um, uh, Steve McDonald, I believe the original right. drummer's yes. name was. It was all much slower. 
um, and more like doomy sounding. Um, and then I guess Patrick Robert, the guy who played on the record, listened to the tapes playing too fast or something like that and learned them the wrong way. <laughs> and then just no one ever corrected him. And so as a result, Obscure came out fast, um, wow. which is pretty funny. Um, Except for Cloud. Right, well, that didn't come out too fast. That's true. But. Maybe it did, right? Who knows how slow that was supposed to be. Right, exactly. <laughs> true. Oh, uh, yeah. But, yeah, I feel like it's interesting that you mentioned Steve because, like, yeah, the Negativa stuff, there is some, there are, like, open parts of Negativa, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's usually more ambient, the, the, the free parts on that record. Yeah, right? there's some stretched out, like, noise, like, it's almost drone-like, uh, but yeah, it's not like busy. It's not like the pure on like noty improvisation. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's like sparse sounding. So, but but I had read it. it it's well. First of all, it's it's a shame that there's not more Steve music to begin with. Yeah. But specifically Negativa, because mm. that was like you just want to hear more from that one EP. But like, because I had read this interview with Luke. Where he was saying like he doesn't like to improvise. Did you guys ever read one? Of yeah, those yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've read a couple of interviews where he's mentioned that he's like very composition oriented. Yeah. And if you see where the band's gone since then, sure. it's clearly the case sure. that, I mean, on the material with uh, with Kevin Huffnagel and, and and Colin on it, um, it's all like you know, ex- exquisitely planned. You know, like totally. every, every single sound yeah, is totally. is you know. Deliberate, so perfect musicians to do that. Way. Yeah, right. And those guys, I mean, well, they can do either version of that. Yeah, I mean, they can improvise too. But there, there is a short drone section on Pleiades Dust that I guess is kind of improvised. Oh, really? That, you know, like the really yeah, like right. sparse drone uh-huh. thing in the middle. Which of the I feel like that probably is Collins doing. Sounds uh, like maybe a... we we saw them play Pleiades Dust that one time in Philly. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Luke's definitely do, doing some stuff on that part. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But I remember, maybe it wasn't his idea. Yeah, yeah. I just remember no, he did write the whole thing. Did he? I understand. I thought there was some element of I don't don't really know. I thought there was some element of collaboration in how they put it together. I think he like wrote the sections and then people filled in stuff. Oh, like, gotcha. Yeah. I think that's usually their compositional approach. Is like Luke will write a skeleton and everyone can yeah. pile stuff on top but of that, it. That's the only improvised part on the last oh yeah yeah Def- definitely Colored Sands has, has nothing like that as far as I can tell right either. it's almost like a rock a rock band kind yeah of totally like yeah yeah to the uh-huh straight. yeah even the guitar solos are, are totally composed yeah. um, I took some some lessons from from Kevin not too long ago he lives pretty near here actually I'm actually taking that story. oh nice <laughs> yeah yeah well he's he's but, great but I, yeah I'm like at a level of a child yeah, yeah. oh you mentioned this to me yeah, yeah, you're, you're, cool. just, you're, you're just getting yeah, started well I mean you sense. can't ask for a better sensei than that guy yeah, so. it's, it's been awesome shout um, out to Hefnagel yeah, yeah but <laughs> um, but yeah but yeah no he, he like showed me like some of the the solos from that record like the one from uh uh I think Enemies of Compassion the, like the first song on Side B you right. know like uh um it's got like a really crazy solo he's Use it to teach me some cool uh, um, playing outside of the box uh, awesome. uh, techniques. So, so yeah. Um, so that that approach. I mean, I, th- I feel like uh, Luke has completely abandoned the um, improvisation thing. I think it was all Steve basically mm-hmm. who was bringing that element to Core Guts at that time. I so. think maybe I, I think I also heard that Luke was considering bringing Steve back into Core Guts, but he realized that Steve had this kind of improvisational side that wouldn't flourish within the context of what Luke wanted to do. And so he told him that he should focus on that. Or, yeah, I think so. Am I, am I, I know that, that I know it was Steve Hurdle who recommended Colin, I believe, initially okay. yeah, to, I might be kind of to, 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 to Luke. Um, and then I think that 
Colin in turn recommended Kevin or something like that. But I no, yeah, know. no, I, I, I think you're right. Yeah, that, that sounds that sounds I, correct. I, I, I heard, yeah, I heard that there was talk of like of like him coming back, and it was like no, like maybe, you know, I should do this new Gorguts, and then he helped him find Colin Kevin or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, the, the negative is such a like a. Like you just wish that yeah yeah that's a real so what yeah what, what what could have been experience yeah. listening to that thing it always yep. definitely I mean with all of the the Steve recordings I, I feel kind of sad when I listen to them because yeah. he was not yeah because he was so brilliant and so many stupid life circumstances kept him from doing more and he could have done so much it's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. it's really it's frustrating even yeah. now that's I mean he passed away you know over five years ago now yeah. but still still kind of kind of raw for me so okay. um can you like i know eric you were talking a little bit about like your playing and listening sort of before the band and like you know kind of mm-hmm. your foundations like i guess i'm curious from each of you like uh i just like to hear like the background and listening to you know things outside of metal that might have brought these ideas in whether that's jazz improvisation anything like you know sonic youth you mentioned also i'm just kind of curious to hear each person's like dna uh, where those ideas come from you so. know that's a lot. <laughs> we listen to a lot of different yeah, yeah. music. Yeah, yeah. So here goes the rest of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Six hours later. Yeah, right. After we name all of our influences. <laughs> no, yeah. but you know, just ones that yeah. might be uh, kind of, you know, uh, relevant to this particular area. Um, well, in high school, I mean, I guess I was raised, I feel like we were probably all raised on a little, on prog rock um, by our parents, but, um, you know, listening to Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin as like a small child was definitely hugely uh, a part of of that but um, my high school music teacher showed me King Crimson because I had he had the, the Emerson Lake and Palmer uh, trilogy uh, LP fold out on his wall it's like oh my dad has that record like that's an amazing thing it's like oh you like King Crimson I'm like oh I have no idea he, he played it you know he could play King Crimson I would like jam with him on yes songs mm-hmm. and uh we play some Tool stuff. Um, I was heavily into Tool, <laughs> um, but also had been listening to jazz and uh, like a lot of Coltrane, a lot of I think like Bitches Brew, Miles Davis was like a crazy like, noise, you know, godsend. Like, <laughs> that, that shit was like, uh, I guess, yeah, that's another big influence for sure. Is that like psychedelic jazz stuff? Um, yeah, Bitches Brew was definitely a watershed record for me too. That was the first same bizarre out impro- improvised thing that I had ever heard, and it, to this day when I listen to it, it's just it's mind shattering. Um, so that that record when I first heard that definitely set me down that path, um, and then getting into like the weird indie rock. You know, we mentioned Sonic Youth earlier. They're they're a big influence of mine. Um, and just the way that they approach harmony and, you know, using alternate guitar tunings and all the, the weird open tunings and then the experimental noise stuff that they do. Um, that and then that kind of led into getting into noise and experimental music. And I think that was when I really decided that I wanted to imp- implement uh, using improvisation in heavy music because there was just this crazy intensity and in, in harsh noise stuff like Mertzbau or, or Kevin Drum or you know there's a, a lot of that different kind of stuff but it, it just had this over-the-top intensity that I thought was kind of lacking in metal and it was when I got into that in my I guess my 
late teens, early 20s that really kind of got the gears turning, and that's sort of when we started including improvisation into the heavy stuff. Um, I guess in my case, uh, I mean, I, I grew up around some, some prog rock and some jazz as well. Um, not, not really a ton of it. Um, I think that at some point in my youth, my dad decided that he was tired of all music that came out before about 1985. And so he just stopped playing all of it. Like, just, you know, those albums were all sitting around in my house untouched most of the time. Um, and instead, um, I guess the way that I got into sort of other weirder forms of like intense, sometimes improvised music was through, I got into to punk as in middle school and then mm. I got into noise rock um, sort of in late middle school, early high school. Um, and sort of through those avenues, I started to come across like more of the idea of not, not necessarily caring about playing a very particular pattern of notes, you know, um, in a lot of, you know, the... Um, 80s and 90s noise rock material there would be parts that uh, were more or less undefined in some way mm. where you could tell the guitarist was just going you know just making some crazy noises yeah. like in a um, sort of ad hoc or um, spontaneous capacity um, that's what I also the, I started to hear I think I think it was really big for me that really um, came into play later was uh, vocalists just not just ignoring the click even if there is a click just like kind of you know timing in a a loose way that it's more about intuition than it is about trying to execute um, a script. Um, and so I would hear that in, you know, today's the day, for instance, yeah. is a band where he clearly is just flying off the handle on the mic a lot of the time. Or um, uh, in the early Black Flag material, there was a couple of these songs where they're just like playing a one chord dirge and just like doing stupid noise stuff off of it. And the vocals are completely. Um, Improvised sounding, at least um, that was a big uh, thing for me to realize that like you could go outside of the sort of very you know rigid uh, on the grid field that you got in a lot of metal. Um, even just outside of uh, da like damaged is right. Exactly. Song. Even outside of that, the, the vocals in general feel pretty loose. On yeah. That right. Record. Yeah. Yeah. I think in a lot of the more primitive forms of '80s metal and hardcore, there was this element of just like incoherence almost that like often came from a place of um like amateurishness you know cult cultivated or not amateurishness yeah um so you yeah. listen to like a slayer guitar solo and they're just going -lo 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 -lo, and just like playing any note right like which yeah. to most people i mean there's still lots of metal people who think that the slayer guitar solos are um are bad and i strongly disagree with that <laughs> sentiment we all i think it, they're great it's one of my favorite parts of the band or like you know if you listen to bathory the guitar solos and old bathory records it's just like it has this feeling of the guitar solo your parents don't want you to hear because there's nothing going on in it like you know there's just like there's no scale it's disgusting like and to me that was like you know a really eye-opening experience that music could have this like textural like noise um sort of uh element but still drive the intensity in a way that even the most like carefully conceived sequence of notes couldn't. Um, so, and then like from there, I got into you know um, some of the, like the '80s and '90s like sort of jazz metal crossover stuff, like the Zorn Material, um, the the Bungle Records. Um, eventually, stuff like uh, like Craw was a band that. Mm. Uh, then actually, a really big one for me was Dillinger Escape Plan because yeah. that first Dillinger Escape Plan record when that came out. Um, I mean, I didn't hear it for a year or two after that, but just the idea of doing this like incomprehensible sequence of, of linear drum patterns or whatever you know it just it made me realize that 
you could have all of the intensity and severity of a metal or hardcore recording in a way that felt destabilizing and felt ecstatic and like, you know, it didn't feel like such a, um, so regimented and, and chore like, you know, it felt like it was, you know, something that was exploding out of the players as opposed to, you know, being like carefully, you know, poured over and then like played fluidly with no sense of exertion behind it, you know, which you often see with like the metal shred guys are all just like, you know, they got the fan on, their hair's in the air, and they look effortless <laughs> just like, you know, playing their arpeggios or whatever. And like that to me is like so much less intense than like, you know, watching some guy like, you know, like, sawing away at his instrument, trying to, you know, wrench whatever horrible sounds out of it that he can. Mm-hmm. So so that's really more the angle that I came at from it. And then like I kind of backfilled a lot of my jazz and prog knowledge kind of after I realized that I wanted to hear gibberish, basically. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So I I, uh, I grew up a proud kid. My dad listened to Rush. I went to my first concert with my dad to go to Rush. It was the Vapor Trails tour. I think in like 2003 or four or something. They had dryers on stage with throwing shirts. People oh, freshly yeah, dried and all that. Yeah, sure. yeah, it was good times. Okay. Um, and uh, I mean, I felt like at the time, like a lot of like rock and stuff. Even like the grungy bands and stuff, I heard a lot of it and listened to a lot of it, and it all kind of sounded the same. And then I sort of honed in on Soundgarden and yes. really, really attached to Super Unknown and Bad Motorfinger, but it's like especially Super Unknown. I'm like going against like what Dave King was saying in like your first interview with him, where he was like, I think that Matt Cameron's actually a pretty wild drummer. Oh, yeah. And like, yeah, I, I love Matt Cameron. Yeah, Matt Cameron was the guy who really got me started. His shit sounded really good. Like, he was gritted, but he kind of did whatever he wanted. So there's like a if you throw aside like the the stuff on Super Unknown that's like uh like the hits and whatever you can like find that one track head down yeah. and it goes on like halfway through it where they're like they're on a grid but they're kind of just playing around and doing different stuff and I thought that like that was like the first thing I heard like going back on like a tape where I was like wow that's that's not you know they're not like repeating anything they're like doing something here that's like interesting and different and uh, so I started just attaching myself to like yes and Rush, and then, of course, you know, King Crimson. Uh, it's funny, the first King Crimson record I heard was Lark's Tongues and Aspect, mm. and didn't really know what to do with it, and kind of hated it at first. Uh, and then I kind of came back around after spending time with Red and Discipline and some other stuff, and I was like, wow, this this is pretty amazing. So, I mean, like, and then basically dove headlong into, like, extreme metal a little bit, like what Doug, like, we basically passed each other records, years and years, different yeah. things that we found, and uh, eventually, we both, I guess, kind of at the same time, started like diving into like Bitches Brew and like a lot of the through lines that kind of are a big influence on our music. And obviously, you know, the Dillinger Escape Plan and like that kind of like spastic approach to doing things that feels structured, but also like kind of weird and like confrontational. I don't know. So I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like. I do have that prog rock background, but jazz is backfilled definitely for me too. And mm-hmm. I've really gotten attached to like the shape of jazz to come or yeah, that or that Cullen record and like all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I guess I'm the only one that's actually studied jazz. I've not studied jazz. Well, well Eric, <laughs> Eric kind of did. Right? Like, I wasn't. It was music. It was like you know, I, I, I never got too deep into yeah, it. It wasn't, but I was playing jazz standards and improvising along with them, and yeah. so. That, that improvising was just something that I got comfortable with at an early age, and that was, you know, I was doing other types of improvisation too. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Well, I did. Did lots of jamming in high school. Yeah, but it helped. It helped. It was kind of dumb at the time. It was dumb at the time, but 
led to something better. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> As it goes. Uh, I did flesh out a bunch of my playing at like just before joining Piran um, uh, in the open the open jam scene in Westchester County. Um, I'm from Yonkers, uh, and uh, my friend's bass teacher played in the house band for this. Uh, there was a blues and funk jam where people would like the house band would play, and then people would just sign up and play with strangers, and you call out tunes or whatever. Um, and then there was a jazz jam that they would do a little further north. Um, and so we would go watch him and like, he would make my friend play stuff that he was teaching him. And, uh, and so I started like playing, I started improvising live because like I had to, I didn't know the songs. It was mm-hmm, like, you know, mm-hmm. these old guys and they're just calling tunes out and they, maybe they'd <laughs> scribble, scribble down the chords on a napkin or just one of the older dudes would just stand next to me and tell me which chord was next. Um, that's, that's so creepy and hilarious. Yeah. It was so it's weird. a B. It's a B. And then they talk shit about how we weren't that good or whatever. And it was like some fucking old guy being like Sounds upset like that you're playing with them or something like that. Like, oh, this kid doesn't know a Roomba. Like, uh, but um, but yeah, so I did get to do shit like that. Um, I could only really play. Like I said before, jazz songs with forms like Footprints um, or like uh, All Blues and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, so I I did a lot of learning how to play on the fly in that sense. Mm. Um, But it was like so much more structured with these guys who wanted to play the songs that they knew. Um, But I did a fair amount of that. Um, And it was about a year... Basically, like the year before I joined Piran, I think. It was like turning tw- from 20 to 21. Um, and, uh, yeah. Although, I also want to shout out Primus real quick. After that. <laughs> yes. Fucking, the guitars is super noisy and yeah. super, like, crazy. And, uh, no, it's, and yeah, the, it's bass, the, approach, awesome. yeah. Yeah. the approach to bass was like. You also invented like, death metal. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Dude was in no, well, didn't, not by himself, but yeah. you know, <laughs> but, 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 he did play on seven churches. But then he did that, and then and then left immediately. Yeah, yeah. And, and now now he won't speak of it anymore. <laughs> the guitarist is on seven churches. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, Larry yeah, Luan. Yeah. Ridiculous. There was also a, a, a possessed EP or demo where he was on, where Joe Satriani was the producer. Mm. Um, <laughs> wow. And now I think that neither of them will speak. <laughs> <of Satriani. laughs> we did not do that. They don't have to scarlet letter in the shred. I, so. I'm fascinated by the Primus guitar. Like, what's going on with that? Has anybody talked to him about like where is he? I, mean, I, I, I guess I should just interview him. But I'm here. Right. Like, you should find him. Yeah. 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 I'm just curious about like like what is going on. I mean, with that, like sort of free playing. Like when you're, yeah. I guess, like Les Claypool is already playing such weird shit. Like, yeah. what do you like? A lot of times, like, what is the guitar even supposed to do over it? But I mean, it was just definitely a really like aggressive, interesting, like noisy thing like the solos and that records and that even the riffs are just very like clanging and, and very loose mm. um, it sounds like audio graffiti to some degree yeah, over, like, yeah. a, a structured there's, rhythm section you know there's a guy he reminds me of what the hell is the name of that the, the jazz guitarist who played with tom waits a lot Rebo. Uh, yeah right yeah mark Rebo. Yeah, yeah yeah right yeah that guy's um, awesome yeah it kind of reminds me of like a metal fied version of, yeah, of that yeah, you know totally see that. yeah I, yeah those were those weird like uh like large step patterns he's always doing you yeah. know like, kind of chromatically going down with these big step patterns uh-huh. like yeah kind of similar little little tick there's yeah there's there's a ton of great like very noisy guitar stuff on uh 
from the the earlier Primus records um, that I really just really dig. I was like that was some probably some of the first like wild guitar stuff that I heard as a kid. Um, and then just like the his like Les Claypool's approach to bass was just so like out of left field. It was mm. like well I'm gonna learn this shit. Like that's I, I don't I haven't heard anything like it so. Mm-hmm. You know, dig into it. Good call, call I promise. That was exactly. a big thing. I had to just Sailing in the seas was stupid looking, but then you listen to it and you're like, oh, well, it's like a cartoon, but yeah, with like dude. this crazy stuff. You yeah. know? The last time I saw him was when the, the, the original trio came back because the, the drummer was like sick, and the first person I saw when I walked in is Ron from Malignancy. Nice, nice. Prime was like, I fucking love Prime. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a, a great little moment. Uh, you know, the world, yeah, the world is pretty small. It seems like, yeah, it seems like they were kind of gateway for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I wanted to ask about, like, um, like New York now in the past, like, five, ten years or something. Like, I feel like a lot, where a lot of these scenes are sort of, like, overlapping. And I guess I, I'm kind of curious to know whether, like, do you all find more of a kinship with like the local metal or is it like almost like it fits in more with the sort of more just like unclassifiable avant-garde thing or is it a little bit of both or i guess i'm just wondering about you know i don't know how, how you feel like this band sort of like navigates the whole new york ecosystem of it's been weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> i guess um it's a bit of both you know um yeah, we, we, play, we played so much at St. Vitus that their metal shows and everything, but uh, definitely get some of the, the Avant music crew coming to see our shows as well, but um, I'm not sure like how much we've really dealt with them like as a band. I, we've played lots of shows that are like that, I feel like. Yeah. you know, We were not playing with really any other, you know, or at least maybe one other like straight-ahead metal band. Yeah. I really feel like we are comfortable... To the extent that we're ever comfortable playing with almost any combination of, of those worlds, I guess. Um, I wouldn't... I mean, I, I don't feel like we're... I think that in terms of our connections professionally, we're probably more like a regular metal band. Like, the labels that are interested in us are metal labels. Yeah. Um, the, you know, uh, booking agents who would book us are metal booking agents. Um but as far as our interests and our just more casual social connections and whom we like to play shows with, I think that it's at least an, a 50-50 split. Um, it, to some, in some ways, I feel more comfortable playing with other more like kind of, you know, liminal, you know, out types of, you know, musical projects as opposed to like genre metal bands. Mm-hmm. Um, just because people at those shows, both the other musicians and the audiences just tend to be less doctrinaire about what they're going to experience. Um, I I love metal. It's my favorite kind of music, no question about it. Um, but the, you know, the attitudes that come with it are just often not the friendliest to a project that's as interdisciplinary as Pure On. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not complaining. We've got plenty, of, we've had plenty of luck, you know, putting those people over. So it's not like, it's not been like a, some kind of huge problem for us or something like that. But, but you just, I mean, there's also been, there's been lots of shows we played where I look out at the crowd and everyone's just like giving me kind of the side eye, you know, like not, definitely not really like, you know, um, feeling what is occurring, what, what is coming off of the stage. Um, or they're inching um, towards the bathroom slowly. So yeah, yeah, they can right, into yeah. Or, 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 or inching quickly towards the bar, more, more, more commonly. Um, 
But but yeah, I mean that's just like the nature of playing music that doesn't fit naturally into one specific category. Um, it's you know you get crossover people by the same mechanism. So you know um, I think that it's really in some ways is a real privilege to be able to play with any combination of just either regular death metal bands or like a bunch of weirdos with DI boxes and pedals who are going just making textural noises. The fact that we can do anything in that spectrum as far as like who we're willing to play with and who we can have a good live experience with that's really it's awesome because we just like all kinds of stuff Mm. so um so you know for to the extent that it's ever caused any difficulties it's more than made up for itself in terms of the opportunities it's created so Mm -hmm. yeah i mean uh you know like yeah we how long ago was that like we played with child abuse and like that the death by audio like that was like that was a pretty long time. At ago. Death by Audio, yeah, that was in 20, that was a long 20, 2012 yeah. or twenty thirteen. Yeah, yeah. So twenty twelve. It has been a say. while of, of being able to play these weird shows. Yeah, yeah. I think that was one of the first shows where we um, really played with some other bands that were like clearly just definitely not metal bands. Yeah. Like we're you know really doing something else. Child Abuse was the headliner, and they're obviously somewhat metal like in in some respects, but not. No one would confuse them for a straight ahead metal band. And the other artists on that bill, it I was think, Drugs of Faith, wasn't it? No, that was a different show. Oh, right. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a show with that uh, Valerie Cune played. Oh, okay. How do you pronounce her I last name? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the DBA. Yeah, so yeah. The other two. Oh. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Um, the other two artists in that bill were like not even heavy, like no loud drum kit or anything mm. like that. So, um, so yeah, I think after we had we played that show, we were like, oh wait, we can just like, you know. There's, the limits are who will say yes, not like something that we have to impose yeah. in ourselves, you know. So, um, so you know, we've played some really, really odd lineups as a result of that. Um, there was a show we played at one point where the lineup was uh, us, um, Couch Slut, who are a noise rock band, and that like makes sense. Sure. Then um, Pharmacon, the the noise artist, yeah. um, Youth Code, the like Nouveau Industrial Project, and then the headliner was Marissa Nadler. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another show we played recently was us, uh, Dialect, Austerity Program, and an artist called Nordra, um, who makes uh, like an ambient sort of like, it's like heavy ambient noise, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so and those are just like two sample bills of, you know, uh, interesting mixes of stuff that we've played in the past just like three or four years. Um, and I don't think that everyone gets to have that kind of experience playing what boils down to like basically heavy metal you know um so uh i'm just very enthusiastic about that side of this band i really enjoy it so yeah. i think i think though it, it may be it's like when we're playing to like a metal crowd like like a like just a strictly like death metal show that that at least for myself i'm like more wary that like they might not like it like i'm more i'm more cons- i would be like i would understand more if like a straight ahead metalhead guy didn't like our band as opposed to if we played like the avant-garde shows and they were like well i don't like metal or whatever well um, yeah well metal guys are also just a lot more they have a much more specific yeah. image of what they want to hear in most cases yeah, i so think it think usually most, turns out fine though yeah yeah i mean <laughs> we've never been booed we've never been heckled a single time in like 10 years of being a band yeah. so like no one's ever really given us a hard time for being a weird metal band. Like, it's not... Just some old, we're room, not, just like, some old room clearing. We right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People have run away from us, but yeah. that's true for, you know, like... That's just being a band, man. You know, like, yeah. how do you know that you're brutal if no one's fucking running away, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we just... 
there was that show with the Dalek and the Austerity program, and a week later, you know, playing Terror Fest opening for Goat Horror, you know? Like, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> right, right straight, they, they are like, like cartoon extreme metal dudes. Like, they are like the most lifered out, just like, you know, we exist to play heavy riffs. Absolutely like, professional. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, they're an amazing lot. They crushed it. Yeah, yeah. They definitely live that um, metal vibe. Right, but yeah, it's, it, it, it is, you know, you know, down to the little details, you know. He's, you know, wearing, like, he has the full-blown gauntlets on stage. Even the, uh, the guitarist, Sammy, was wearing a gauntlet, which, yeah. you know. 96-degree Austin. Yeah, right, yeah. In, in the you know, blistery heat, yeah. Blistery. Yeah, it, it was over 95 degrees in, you know, in daytime. The sun sun was out still. Um, yeah. I wouldn't do that. I would die if I tried to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, because, like, so much of that, like, that, like, rigidity is there... You know, it's there in the image, and then like we we're talking about, it makes its way into like you know the production becomes that much more rigid. It seems it seems like metal is always pushing in that realm of like, it's you know whether it's like Iron Maiden or whatever, it's like you know a, it's sort of a scripted theatrical experience, and it's like I, I don't know, it's just all of these elements you, you guys are talking about, like this like these you know openness in any in any on any level. It's just like. In some ways, it's antithetical with like what metal has become, but it's weird because if you look back at like Sabbath or something like you know sort of jamming and just a sense of players like interacting with each other as musicians, like that was there in Sabbath. Yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly. But then somehow, as it moves into like thrash, I mean, you're, yeah, you're saying Slayer has that has that kind of you know X factor with the uh, solos, but it seems like as as it moves into like death metal, like you can't imagine like Deicide. Like, it seems like by the time you get to something like that, it's like, I don't know. They, they don't want you to hear the little variables that no. they're playing together. They, they're just, yeah. like, trying to flatten you. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? mm-hmm. Playing riffs. Yeah. Know? And, and which is fine, again. Love sure, riffs. Sure, absolutely. Like, that early, like, Legion sounds absolutely maniacal. You know? Yeah, that record, they're, they're flying off the handle. <laughs> but, right, that but record. they're not. But they're not making it. Like, but they're not making anything up. Like they're not really. That wasn't. The, I don't think that was even the target for that. Yeah, like no, that was yeah, just yeah. what they could implement at that time. That material. It's, yeah. It's, if you listen to later Deicide, they're not trying to sound like Legion. No, it, yeah. No. It, just, it sounds like it just. It's got the robot yeah, going on. You know. Like, it's 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 really fascinating. Like there's something about that album. It's like it's like accidentally coming off. Like like. You know, it's like not quite in tempo like that. that yeah, yeah. flying right. off the yeah. cliff. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's like this very like like those riffs are like, they, yeah. I don't know. It's fascinating. And again, another thing that you wish there was more of. Yeah. Not. Well, we were mentioning I, the ping at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. We're talking, yeah. This, this, to, uh, dis- this is something that I really. This is a quality that this quality of like sort of. You know, they're everyone playing at the very edge of their abilities, and like things are kind of rickety and sort of falling apart. But then it gives it this crazy, maniacal energy. That's a quality that I think is really common in some types of, of brutal death metal. You know, like the um, more guttural, you know, slam-oriented sure. type of stuff. Um, the drummers, especially, there's like, this whole school of drumming with guys who, you know, like so like the stereotypical like metal blast beat player is a guy who's just completely locked into a grid, who's like you know on the downbeat perfectly every time, and like that's you know. The Hans Grossman or like Derek Roddy model of metal drumming, right? Um, these these brutal death metal guys, a lot of them are 
Um, the whole point is that they're flying off the grid at their at their highest speeds, right? You know, a lot of these like South American brutal death metal bands in particular, that's like the most characteristic feature of it. Is you got these guys with the snare tuned to like, you know, Max to, 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 to shatter yeah. to shatter glass, you know, it's like the super high pitched piercing sound. Yeah, and then there's like you know like at the highest tempos, it's really the guitarist I guess who's like holding the rhythm, and the drummer is just playing as fast as he can right, just like in, in a way filling where, up space right with sound. <laughs> which, 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 which in a way is more yeah. similar to the way that that blast beats were played initially by by mick harris right you know from napalm death and he would just basically he wasn't really like driving a groove when he was playing those things it was just this crazy washing effect right and like to some degree both by it's it's kind of a funny like sense of convergent evolution in a way to me um that both these like super metaled out like you know very you know in like the metal you know idiom and, and world and mindset guys are starting to do that and then also you know especially in around here in recent years like you were saying but just generally there's also this um community of like sort of not metal musicians who are you know discovering metal drum techniques and then using them in ways that are more washy like this right and they're kind of you know so in the same way that you could hear a brutal death metal guy blasting and flying off the click in you know contemporary like brutal free improv stuff in around new york you can see guys do this i mean Ken, you can see kenny do this and he is like yeah. as schooled of a player as there is in the world mm -hmm. right um or like weasel walters a guy who likes to do this sort of thing where he's totally. like blasting too fast and flying off the click yeah. or k um, gentile was talking about it yeah right yeah, yeah that, that interview doing it, had, had a bunch of that stuff in it too yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so so i think it's really interesting that like the that potential of metal drumming is just being explored in these two totally different ways by musicians who you know in some cases are aware of each other but for the most part it's just these separate worlds that are arriving at a similar point um and that's something that we you know as a band think about a lot right mm -hmm. like how um <laughs> uh to bring up colin again there's this term that he used to describe this type of death metal uh where it's just like you know where it's like they're really amazing players but they don't you know they're also it's kind of a just slop in a way he called it avant dumb um <laughs> where like you can't you can't tell wait, whether wait, you said? We, we prescribe by yeah you're right yeah 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 that, that's like our target state um really you can't tell whether they're like really sophisticated and like doing like a like a state-of-the-art noise thing or they're just like they have guys never played who, before who played fast you know? like, so well, right, because because like you're saying, like the, the people who are super schooled are doing like they're trying everything to get themselves right, yeah. to sound. They have to go like through they, the ringer of like learning every technique to learn the no technique. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, which is yeah, which is fascinating because yeah, the people who like, well, I don't know, I guess yeah, because those bands aren't trying to do anything. That's just what it's. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The drummer from Echimosis, I'm sure, is like, yeah, I heard Last Days of Humanity. I like that drum tone, but we're more of a death metal band. And that's like the end of the five. Like, <laughs> is that one of the South American bands? Oh, uh, they're they're actually from Singapore, but okay. yeah, it's a similar okay. kind of thing where they have like you know uh, they have like this super high pitched loud snare thing, but when he blasts super fast, it just turns into this like like a tone almost yeah yeah right yeah yeah right yeah it's it just like you lose the distinction of the notes you just get this weird like washing thing then and then it goes into like a like a, a slam section that that's actually on a grid you know what were the other what were the south american bands you were talking about because i'm not sure i'm familiar with those in particular oh man there's there's a okay a, there's a bunch of them uh i don't even know them though um i'm trying to think of a good example uh what the um in i think it's called infernal suffering Internal um, suffering. Internal suffering. Uh, no, is it, I, is it infernal or internal? I think it's infernal suffering. Infernal <laughs> suffering so, is the band from Japan, I think. Or they're from Japan. Slam band. I think I'm confused. There's one particular band I'm thinking of. They're Colombian, and they're like, I think they're right. shit. I know the album title is 
<laughs> the most recent one was called Cyclonic Void of Power. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they, I, I'm, I'm just drawing a blank. They had just come back from, like, a pretty long break. Um, uh, the, I mean, the the OG version of this is really Crisian, right? Like, they were the like mm-hmm. the, the ground zero for, like, blasting too fast for yourself mm-hmm. to blast, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm having a brain fart. Not be able to think of the, the other particular band I'm thinking of. But Mexico. Yeah. Well, there are bands kind of like that, too. I mean, they're, they're not South American. No, but, but they're um, just totally... But yeah, that's a similar type wall. of thing where, like, yeah, they're blasting so fast that they can't actually... Uh, Separation is from South America now. Are they? I can't remember. Yeah. They're, they're like from Colombia. That, yeah. that sounds right to me. Yeah. Uh, um, Eternal Suffering is the band you're thinking of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Eternal Suffering. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they're just, like, one of a bazillion of bands like that, you know? That, uh, that, that, that ping episode, and, and, and just to serve when yeah, you have to ask Paula about yeah, this stuff. <laughs> we're talking about the heavy metal, uh, sorry, the heavy hole podcast episode with Paula. What's his last name? Oh, I'm um, sure. Ping and Lutan, I think. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm completely butchering <laughs> the pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, uh, I don't remember. I think it's is. I think it's Pangan Luton or something. So yeah, so that episode got me listening to a lot of this stuff. I, I got very into like the Bro- Brodekin and uh, and then um, that band Liturgy, the other yeah. band. Yeah, I was right. fascinated by yeah the, the chaotic sense of those bands that are just like again sort of too fast for there to be a grid. Yeah, and they're just like it's that, just sound. It's like sound. Have you listened to Last Days of Humanity? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. So they were like, I consider more of a gore grind band, right? Yeah. They have the thing where, first of all, there's not really riffs to speak of. Um, the guitars are just a noise. Um, the vocals, they do the pitch shifting vocal technique. So it just, it sounds like a weird futuristic toilet, I guess, you know. <laughs> um, but the drumming is really like the, the distinguishing element. And they were the ones, I think, who probably did the most to popularize that super um, obnoxious piccolo snare sound, which, you know... I don't think that we will probably ever use in this band yeah, yeah. because it's just not appropriate for the rest of the aesthetic whatsoever. Yeah. But it's more like a spiritual influence of this, this, this like, uh, um, I guess it's just like the sort of devil may care attitude that these guys have. Um, you know, they're just tr- extremely nihilistic. Yeah, yeah. They're just trying to achieve the most aggressive effect they can with the means they have available. And it's not so much extreme metal as like highly schooled and very, like, you know, you know, it just has like the sense of rigor and like Apollonian focus and control associated with it. Whereas these guys are just not interested in that at all. It's just the spasm, right? Yeah. Like they're just going, Rah! you know, it's, it's a completely like intuitive sort of attack compared to so many, um, like more traditional, even like death and black metal bands. But right? again, like you said, that stuff is, it really is there in death metal at the beginning. Like, and not just Napalm Death, like even like, you know, early Pete Sandoval or, early mm-hmm. Cannibal Corp, like, like Tomb of the Mutilated, like, you know, it's a little kind of rickety sound. Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, it, it is in time, and, you know, Pete Sandoval is in time, but there's a little bit, a little rushing, like, he has this kind of idiosyncratic yeah. way of, like, phrasing riffs and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know, it's just interesting how, how some metal is driving so hard to remove, to remove hu- human... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. To like, the point where it's yeah. almost not, like... Yeah, well, like... At, at all, I guess the back in the '90s with got, you know Sandoval and the early Cannibal Corpse stuff, the, those guys were creating the idiom, you know, so they were figuring out on the fly basically how to do that, and then you have all these people who are just trying to copy that essentially. So yeah. Once I think spoke- I think that's where that kind of disparity comes from, because it, it, you know what <laughs> when, when there's nobody 
that you're using as an example for what you're doing, it's just going to sound crazier and more unhinged and yeah, because they're just like coming up with it on the spot. I think people get locked into kind of missing the imperfection and the humanism of doing something like this where you're just like, you know, we're not perfect. So here's this really imperfect music, you know, where it's like you listen to, you know, rings of Saturn or something where it's like this, like video game going at a two sixty. Mm. You're just like, I, that doesn't relate to anything in my life. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what's going on. You know, like yeah. I, I'd rather, you know, like I'd rather have that human imperfect element in than not in. Yeah. And I think that's like kind of this point of contention for us in some ports where we're just like, we don't feel like being perfect or being up at like those tempos where it's like this crazy composed thing. We're more interested in the human element of like doing that, that yeah. imperfection, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of metal bands feel a huge amount of pressure to be as professional sounding as possible. Like, prof ironically, in this like DIY culture of losing money, professionalism is like so incredibly like highly prized. Like, like everyone is like, yeah, well, you know, you really gotta like do it the right way and like make sure your takes are perfect and all that stuff. And to me, I'm just like, yeah, what? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna do it as well as I can, but at the end of the day, the whole point of the, whole, the entire payback for doing this is that you get to express yourself, right? Um, I guess there's some people who, you know, win the lottery and their extreme metal band becomes a major source of income for them. But otherwise, it's a huge amount of work and labor and discipline and sometimes like struggling and heartache that leads to only, the only thing you get back is that you get to make this music and mm. do it in the way that you want to do it. So to me, trying to achieve an artificial standard of perfection um, because you feel obligated to do it because that's the industry standard just seems to contravene the spirit and purpose of making it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And if you, I think, you know, going back to what Dylan said earlier about, you know, when these guys who are, you know, forming the idioms of extreme metal in the early 90s were recording these parts, they weren't, do, they weren't, there was no sense of like what the exact right way to play a blast beat was, like what your stick height should be, like, you know, how on the grid your kick should be. They were just, trying to achieve some effect that was in their head, right? Um, and so that, like, that struggle, the fact that you could hear that struggling, I think, makes it, you can feel the humanity of that entire process, you know, uh, to back, you know, what Steve was saying, too. That's really, um, so much of what gives those, those records their sense of energy, their sense of just, like, um, urgency. And then, you know, they're, um, they're, that's what makes them timeless to me, is that you can, you can hear what was captured in that moment of them trying totally. to execute this crazy thing. It, yeah, um, and, the, and the exact same thing is true of like bebop, like like hearing like Max Roach in nineteen forty five, yes. and not not oh, that yeah. he's, not that he sounds like rickety or something like that, but he does. But but but, but it, it's yeah, that's the thing. Like yeah, now you can go to school and somebody will teach you how to play bebop. Right. I, like, I, I you know I don't know if that's quite happening with the blast beat, but it probably will be happening in the next like I five. I think it's years. got it's got to happen soon. Yeah, it's eventual. I think the Berkeley they have like metal instructors probably. now. Yeah, yeah, they have they have guys who teach you to blast there. I think you probably get you know. I don't know, like a jars and Beck teaching you totally. to like you know play sick blast beats or whatever. And, and, it was, and, and I guess what I'm saying is, if it's not happening at Berkeley, it's happening to the extent on YouTube that it might as well be. Happening oh yeah, yeah, sure. Because yeah. there's a there's a school of how to how to do this, you know, fundamentally chaotic thing like in a very controlled way, and it's like you know that's cool, like you know yeah, like everything's a technique, and like I can get like wanting to to know how to do it right and not not injure yourself yeah. you know what I mean this is probably the biggest philosophical difference between the three of us who are in the band when Alex is in the band and Alex himself because Alex is a super super chops and like like in the you know, technique and like finesse oriented player yeah. um, which makes him able to do 
unbelievable in human things as a drummer. But it's just not the three, you know, Dylan, Eric, and I have this just like very scrapping oriented approach yeah. to yeah, playing and I, music. And, and, and Steve, you, too, of course. I, like, I feel like when the first time I saw you, I think it was when we played with you at, at, at Transpeak. Transpeak, uh-huh. yeah. The first time I was, yeah, I was, I was, I, I really felt this new sense of like, Jesus Christ, like this is like the aggression and this, it was, it was, it was the chaos and aggression were just like that much more, you know. I, I, it, like you said, it, it, you know, it's very like tense and and just like you know, kind of on the edge of your seat, like the whole set. Like I feel like you're drumming, like really, you know. And I, I saw it with Alex and thought the band was awesome before that, but I, I I think this sort of yeah, that chaos thing is happening a lot of this. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah I appreciate like, I really that. Really dug the like yeah. brutality and just kind of edginess of it. Yeah, I, mean, I think I'm really dialed into just what the three guys want and what I kind of want out of what I hear out of the band and what I've heard out of the band for like a decade or whatever you know now at this point uh, is that's what it kind of should be is just this very like confrontational aggressive like aggressive approach you mm-hmm. know so when I started playing drums with them I mean like the, it took me a while to get the stamina up to do it but I mean once I finally got there you know and well, got yeah. enough calluses and all that sort of stuff and stopped smoking quite as much and you know <laughs> then I was able to sort of you know do it and pull it off and be happy with it, you know. Yeah, because it seems to me like your way of playing, like like blasting and, and that sort of style of drumming, like it's it's sort of it's not trying to like conserve energy. It's trying to no, it, 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 <laughs> no. it's not trying it, to conserve. It's trying energy. to like just you know channel the energy, the energy, and just like make that yeah know, right on the surface or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of living like on a day to day basis with like the energy and the stamina. Like I'm definitely like on the opposite end of the spectrum from like John Lonstreth, who is like. He's all about conserving energy and doing things where I'm like, I'm more interested in the performance at hand and like the task at hand and just the, the writing, the vibe of the song and stuff. And I'd rather just like be able to control the noise floor of it instead of just like having this limit of being like at like 50% and then 100. I want to be able to go down to 25 and then like 150 where it's like, I'm probably annoying the shit out of the sound guy, but you know what? <laughs> you, know what? you know, that's what you do. So, <laughs> so. But yeah, that's definitely part of the vibe with drumming in Piran is that kind of thing where it's like, it has that punk rock aspect of just being really, really, just very loud and just like pushing that kind of as far as we can go, you know. But not from a technical, like really, really crazy fast standpoint or anything, just really like the physicality of it is important. Mm -hmm. You know, the way we come across, like when when we practice, we play like that. And then we go, we play live, we play exactly the same. You know what I mean? It's like that in the room, and it's like that in the venues, you know. So, at least that's my vibe. That's how I felt about yeah. it. I mean, yeah, it seems like practice is like hundred and ten. We're not, we're not marking it in practice. We're that's for sure. Sweating <laughs> yeah. like crazy. Yeah. yeah, I, I mean, I try to go to. I mean, that's the whole point of practicing, you know. Yeah. So the oldest sports cliche in the book, right? You practice like you play. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I guess, what you're talking about with like the, the like clean metal versus like the aggressive stuff is, I think. People just they they want us like they like the technicality is like an achievement like like look what look at what I've like learned to do like I can do all this crazy shit um, and so the riffs can be faster and, and everything like that but some like for for me I just want to see a band like go crazy like I just want to see I don't care particularly how like capable the guitarist is I'm more concerned with what he's the sounds he's making you know and like mm-hmm. and how whether or not he's even trying, you know, and so, like, constantly pushing yourself, like, it's not like they're not pushing themselves, they are practicing all the time, but, like, you don't see the work that they're doing, like, with a band like us, 
the work that we're doing is like thrashing. <laughs> I thrashing mean, some technique is involved. Yeah, I don't yeah, think any of us is, is, is a slouch when it comes to the technical side yeah. of what yeah, we're yeah. doing, but. But we're not. It's just not. That's not the foreground of the music. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not. Uh, it's not our primary not concern. concern. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, all, it's all a means to achieve ends. You know, like being able to. The chops are just a tool. You know, and that's, to me, like, pretty much all they should ever be. You know, mm. I mean, people can get whatever they want to out of music. I just don't derive a lot of pleasure from listening to things that are strictly exercises and like demonstrating a series of highly optimized mechanical movements on an instrument. You know, <laughs> yeah. so. Oh, it's like a. I was telling Dylan the other day, I was like, if, if I'm listening to something that is purely achievable, like just practice, like just if I practice enough with this lick, then I can do it. Like we can basically do that with the most of like technical, like shreddy metal, but like you can't just practice like how intense somebody is. Like you, you get to see them doing their own shit. And it's like, that's what I want. That's what I want to see at least is someone doing something like interesting and like being themselves and being different, but also um, not just reproducing something. Mm. Like, we don't go there's, for there's, it like a hundred. There's only so yeah. many scales. There's only so many <laughs> yeah, notes. Yeah. There's only like you know, it's it's not. Eventually, you run out of stuff, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that that might be difficult to do. But yeah. you know, I just feel like some some people approach music like they're like they're artisans more than like they're artists. I guess you know. Um, yeah, that's actually probably yeah, yeah. There's you know, it. It, there's it's. To me, it often reminds me of like someone who's just making a beautiful chair. You know, like they're filling like a, you know, filling like a like a necessary you know role and in doing something that you know people want. You know, like people love having beautiful furniture. Um, but it doesn't. Ha there's like a certain amount of like vulnerability and revealing of your interiority that you have to do. I think to really like sort of make use of that kind of skill for the kind of product that I personally want at least you know like um, again it's, you know people can get whatever they want to out of music but like that to me is like really the and I think probably for you too yeah, Eric, exactly. is the yeah, difference yeah. maker um, is whether you can see whether those you know those those motions those little mechanical movements are being used to um, just communicate something beyond themselves you know well and also that you can uh, also that you know that ind that individual passion and then and, and sort of uh individual stamp that each player puts on it and then hearing full you know a whole band sounding like that like 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 that's why that's why definitely like when i listen to you guys i definitely think about it more the way of like listening to like a very high level jazz band where each of the you know each of the musicians has a voice you know what i'm saying and then like what do those sound like together and those you know developing an individual language and developing a group language and then adding like the intensity thing into it i don't know it's just like that's a very like jazz way of listening. I think is to be is to be saying, oh, you know, this is how Tony Williams, Ron Carter, Wayne Shorter, and Herbie sound mm. together. You know what I mean? And this and, uh -huh. and like I can hear that with the four of you, uh, each having just like a, a a style that you're bringing to it, and just like a vo you know a voice. Yeah. And it's it's cool to hear a metal band that values individual voices coming together and. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I th I think that to me, like the thing that's most appealing about jazz is that like sense of I mean, it's not necessarily a democracy in terms of practice, but like in terms of the artistic contributions. Totally. You know, um, everyone is given some amount of uh, leeway to make their own decisions about mm. what they're going to do, um, and so whoever composed the piece surrenders a lot of control over what happens, which I think is where a lot of metal musicians. Um, 
will balk uh, because I think in most metal bands, there's like one songwriter. He's like, here's how the song goes. You, you guys learn parts, <laughs> you know. Um, whereas in jazz, that, it, it can't be like that, you know. And most kinds of jazz, you know, it's not composed to the detail. People are going to um, interpret the parts and they're going to solo and they're going to do all these things. Um, and that, it's, you know, you need to have people that you trust to do that with. And we're very fortunate that I think we're all, mm. you know, um, we all trust each other and, how, you know, all regard each other as, as peers and equals um, so that you you can, you know, allow each other to go off like that. Um, and uh, once you create that space, then when everyone's bringing energy to it, it can really, you know, you can just achieve things that one mm. composer can never do. Um, so, um, so that's really, really important part of this band, you know, both in terms of yeah. the explicitly improvis improvisational speak, uh, piece and as well as the composing of songs. You know, we all write riffs and everything too. So um, it creates a more, you know, heterodox product, I think, mm. um, which is to me also important. You know, yeah. And going back to Gorguts again, <clears throat> I think that was maybe the earliest example of an extreme metal band thinking about music in terms of different voices. Um, I remember hearing uh, an interview or reading an interview about how the drummer would always think about having his own kind of riff underneath whatever the guitar part was. And I think that really kind of got the gears turning for us, just, you know, thinking about how to include outside influences into metal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah. just tying it back into the whole Gorgot's Obscura thing again. Yeah, we, we were explicitly obsessed with that record. <laughs> when, we, when, we, when, we, when Eric first joined the band, we were kind of just like, all right, like, how can we do that? I mean, <laughs> we, we didn't, we failed to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the ensuing record did not actually sound like Obscura, really, in my opinion. But um, but just like that that way of thinking about it, you know, like even just like wanting to have, it, we didn't really pull it off in that record, but just wanting to have an audible bass, right? Like, yeah. on Obscura, the bass is, it's punchy as hell. You can hear all the bass parts. Because yeah. um, again, going back to the, you know, importance of each voice as opposed to just having guitar and right exactly yeah other elements yeah, and, that kind of was, underneath it. and that dude was doing a lot of really interesting stuff on the bass it just and like i guess like when we write when we write stuff it's just like play whatever you want over this this is like we'll bring like a sort of skeleton to it to the table and uh you know i, I won't really I, I won't i don't really have to say anything about whatever dylan will write over my bass part uh, or vice versa like whatever my bass part is if it sounds like you know, we'll we'll try to guide each other a little bit, but essentially, each person has their own voice, and it's because we get to do whatever we want, like individually, um, to make the song happen. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and there's a lot that goes on with like intercommunication with the band too, where like from my standpoint, I'm interested in interacting with like stuff that Dylan's doing in particular ways, and stuff that Eric's doing in particular ways, and even like recently stuff with like what Doug is doing in particular ways. From from when you joined. Yeah. I mean, on, on Passes for Survival, the, the drums are cueing off the vocals at times. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm finding yeah. spots that are interesting to accent and have conversations with, I guess, in a sense, where we're like, oh, they're, they're like communicating. So it's like the idea of putting the voices together into one song is like, it's more than just like writing like kind of a full drum riff like what like Dylan was saying. I'm definitely interested in doing that, um, but I'm interested in doing it in the framework of what everybody else is doing too, and just sort of slapping the whole thing together so that it all kind of I guess makes sense yeah. in a way. It's it's difficult to always take everyone else's parts into account at the same time. That's like probably the hardest thing about writing songs in Piran. I would say is like you know having that room, but also having it cohere. Um, mm. So we spend a lot of time like determining 
whether parts need to be reined in a little bit, whether things are fighting with each other or not. Um, it's it's a lot of little sort of small detail compromises that we're always making with each other to you know try and serve the best interest of the final product. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it's uh it's a lot more open ended than I think the average metal compositional. Uh, yeah, one, of, one, of, one of our probably most common like negative YouTube comments is that <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these guys were all playing you know the same song instead yeah. of four different ones. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I've, why, I've seen that why do you want that? but yeah, that's uh, that, that's one I've seen more than once. Well, so it's it sounds like it sounds like just sort of like bring it back to what you're talking about at the beginning that like you know what might have been like you know the thirty seconds of him or something on those those sort of bite-sized tracks on, on that one EP like it sounds like maybe you know you guys feel there's more to explore in that area or like it could it could it could sort of it could be more of an element of, of the music or I mean yeah um, I guess we've just sort of gotten like as we've been playing in New York for so long we've, we've also delved into all this avant music and and just have so many more influences and there's so much more like just noisy brutal improv stuff going on that that um, that we can sort of just I guess now that we're here and we we've been doing this for a while we just know that there's anywhere we can go with that like once you decide to do that improv stuff like the options are entirely limitless like um, and so you know we'll s- still try to frame everything like like here on like a band like we still love death metal still love all these fucking riffs and shit and slamming and everything but um, but now we can just we can just play with that in any way we want. Yeah. I mean, I think we're probably going to do more um, extensive free improv um, and on some time in the near future, possibly on this new record where it's still kind of coming together. Um, we're not, we don't usually set out like an explicit like songwriting target for so, ourselves. Yeah. We're not like, okay, we got to add some, at least six to seven minutes of free improv to this one. Yeah. You know, got 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 to get that in there somewhere, you know, like it's like a very intuitive songwriting process, you know, um, we try, I mean, I personally try to think about that kind of stuff in explicit terms r- rarely because totally. it can just gum up the works if you get too fixated on trying to um, try to shoehorn this or that idea into what you're doing. But um, but yeah, just because we haven't just because we haven't really explored it in super depth recently, I think we've just been feeling the itch to play with it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, so like in a, in a you know non non-goal-oriented way yes we are interested in doing more of that soon but not it's not a it's not on the uh mission registry or anything like that so to speak it's certainly not going away yeah yeah it's not going away yeah but but yeah you mentioned that you know that that was kind of one other thing i was going to bring up we talked about a little bit like sort of like this current climate in new york and how there's like you know, like you said, even these kind of improvising death metal bands like this, and Sanathrak, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like things like that. But you know, I, I thought about seeing you play with like that bar-shaped all thing. Oh yeah, you know, that that you know uh, that Colin was part of that, right? Yeah, yeah, there yeah, was yeah. Five trios. Yeah. Colin, Kevin was there. Uh, Kevin Hoffnagel, um, Weasel Walter, um, Oren from Child Abuse, because you know Tim Dahl and everything. Um, I don't. I don't even think I know all of them all the musicians that were there um but yeah that's like that's what i mean where it's all sort of like mixes together a little bit like mcbar plays in Kralis, you know but also plays this like hyper shred improv um and so you know we've gotten to know them and and because you know they see that we'll like improvise and they've, they've seen us at shows and everything and so uh 
Tim just asked me to do that sort of on a whim. It was like pretty last minute. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, to some degree, I feel like there's a really long tradition of this stuff going back in New York, especially going back way before any of the people that we're talking about mm-hmm. in this interview. I mean, um, even like I think that you mentioned No Wave early on. Yeah. A lot of that stuff is they're just like playing any note. You know, it's basically free improvised at times in some of those uh, early, like, you know, no New York era um, recordings. Um, The early Swan stuff, a lot of that was just like, go, (laughs) like, there wasn't like a, there was no chord really to speak of. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that there's just like, and of course, before that, there was just downtown music, you know, like, there's, it's just baked into the substrate of the city, you know, and really, um, we, to some degree, I think, picked up on that all being here long before any of us were even playing music or, or born in many cases. But what's, um, what's maybe what's maybe new, and this is just sort of like a hypothesis, but like like this specific like extreme metal being a part of that whole thing. Yeah. Because, you know, because before it was like, yeah, there was like jazz and improv and like certain styles of rock, but like then injecting this specifically like... Ex- death metal black metal yeah. thing I think that you actually have something to do with yeah. that because, <laughs> because, because because you've been doing this and, and, and cataloging it for a long time at this mm-hmm. point you know it's been when, when did heavy metal bebop start 10 years ago uh, 2011 okay yeah, so Mice 8 was the first one okay yeah yeah right yeah. on Invisible Oranges right yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, yeah, so like that, I think that that's, a, and that's actually the same year that our first LP came out where uh-huh. we were doing this. So, um, so I think to the extent that I really understood that there was some kind of nexus occurring between those things, a lot of it was through your work on mm. that stuff. Um, and also, I mean, like just like talking to other musicians and learning more about who was, you know, kind of straddling those, those lines, yeah, a lot of people yeah, yeah. we've mentioned today, but, but yeah, no, I think to, to this, to the extent that I've really been aware of it in a cohesive way. I think that you've been really cataloging it pretty closely for oh, much of that cool. time. Yeah, so. that's awesome to hear. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think a lot of it too, like the way, the, you know, honestly, the whole idea comes from, you know, seeing like Craig Taborn at the Portal and uh, mm-hmm. Portal and Gorgut show and be mm-hmm. like, oh, that's interesting. Like, let's talk about that. Or, or you, know, you know, I remember I saw you guys at the um, Grid and Chris Pizziocas show the yeah. other week or something like that. I don't know. It's just like, I, I like that. I like that it's not really a surprise anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's also, we're so lucky to be here specifically doing that because I think that I, we know of other projects around the country that are sort of in this space. And for most of those people, you know, I was saying earlier that like, we haven't really been punished in any way for, you know, for mixing these things, you know, some people don't like it, but whatever, you know, we've always had a place here and we can play with, you know, the weirdo out improv bands and we can play with the metal bands and it's fine. I think in most parts of America, that's not true. Like, if you're doing, like, some kind of weird metal, improv, jazz, whatever, fusion thing, there's no infrastructure for you whatsoever. The metalheads think you're a weirdo. The jazz people think that you are a reprobate. And, <laughs> and like, there's just, you just have no home. You just, like, you know, you're kind of um, in the wilderness. And so um, I think that New York is really, like, you know, one of the few places in the country where there's a community and an infrastructure and like a you know an established audience to do that kind of thing. So we were really lucky to be encouraged to go in that direction by the fact that people understood it around mm-hmm. us. So yeah, there was that what was it? Uh, we played in uh, Kalamazoo, and this that band Shoto. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Really crazy, aggressive, noisy. That was like partially improvised, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it, it seemed it pretty really, improvisational really cool. to me. And we played that, and then there was like a, a new metal band. <laughs> And they yeah. have like three tapes, <laughs> yeah. and it's like they if if they were in New York, 
they would have like they're just the scene here is they'd just, be they'd be on a like a popular exactly. like open label. Yeah, yeah. Full like, open yeah yeah like yeah it's like you know putting out their record on northern spy sometime soon yeah. you know it's like we're uh, definitely lucky i mean i think you know colin i think colin and mick colin marston mcbar have a lot to do with with that um, absolutely with the, those worlds joining because yeah. they've, they've just uh i mean colin marston's gotten more and more involved and like the electronic stuff and all the, the noisy stuff but McBar has been just you know an absolute staple yeah. of that sort of noisy improv stuff like with the Lutenbachers even the I mean, well also his stuff. whole catalog of yeah, solo material of stuff, yeah yeah um, he, yeah I guess he was really the first one to officially cross over because Krauss yeah. is I remember when I get, they, they moved away from being metal but right. like they were playing black metal yeah, Originally, I remember so. when Krauss formed, hearing that Mick Barr was in a band yeah. with with Colin. I knew of Colin from Behold the Octopus, which are you know a metal band, you know for sure. Yeah, but I remember like I was like, isn't he like a noise guitar player? Like how are they how are they gonna do that? Um, so yeah, I think that, like definitely Krauss like had a big impact on our willingness to experiment with this stuff because we just knew that those guys had their their thumb, you know, their thumbs and all kinds of different, you know, totally. uh, pots, so to speak. Getting um, to see McBar perform all the time has definitely been a huge influence on yeah. us too. And <laughs> yeah. we're, we're so lucky that we get to right, yeah, yeah. see that. I mean, all these people all that we're time. talking about, like they're just like they just live around here. We just like go to some crappy bar and pay five bucks to watch these guys play. I know, like I, know. <laughs> I feel like you know, there's probably you know, there's probably kids who are into this stuff who are just you know in Dubuque and they're just like. There's literally no one like that for a thousand I wish miles I in could any direction. Ever see Nick Bar right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, 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 where's Luke? Oh, he's playing again. I'm busy. Right? Yeah. yeah, I can't be bothered right now. We're really you know? lucky. Have yeah. my super dark Instagram story of him playing. That's that's. that's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was definitely. I mean, you brought up Behold the Octopus. I mean, Lisa Walter played drums on one of those uh, records, uh, yeah. Horror Ascension. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, no, definitely just that that aggression and that sort of free thing it's just been part of New York and uh, maybe even just like the popularity of metal in general and just the fact that there are just more metalheads now like who like also go to jazz school and stuff and, yeah I think there's they just it's, it's just like a like a frequency thing you know? yeah there's so many factors about New York City I think that produces this kind of thing I mean also just like in a you know sort of more thematic way just like the sense of you know everything being very compressed and there being so much energy coming off of everyone all the time and this weird combination of like highly rigorous systematized stuff everywhere and really unpredictable chaotic human behavior um you know just all the things that have made new york like this weird combination of stimulating and grinding on artists since forever right like i think that really there is a um resonance that comes off of all of that that's appropriate for this combination of like you know really intense physical like you know rock and metal technique with also this kind of uh um uh sort of automatic or uncontrolled or ecstatic sort of improvisational thing i think that really just there's something about the combination that i mean there's a reason that it it, it has been here for so long it's because i think that there's just some kind of mysterious resonance from that environment that inclines people in that direction so um and that's something i mean definitely because i when Piron started um i i live in philly still and then i moved here to pursue the band and i just remember all of a sudden that stuff started to make a little bit more sense when i when i got here so um and had to like you know make my way you know to the city and everything so um so to me like it all seems like we kind of are just 
picking up on something that was already hanging in the air here for mm-hmm. for many mm-hmm. decades and now like our particular little niche corner of it has like you know happened to have a little sort of um, expansion to the point where it seems like it's a bit sort of a visible thing which yeah. is it's been really cool to see I mean because I felt like you know while a lot of stuff was already here like the particular you know just like set of people that we're talking about have really you know sort of gotten something yeah. something going here and that's that's just you know doesn't happen all the time and doesn't happen everywhere so um, well, it's been a, a long time and a lot of work from a yeah lot of, from well a lot of people yeah 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 <laughs> you know uh, yeah yeah cool I think that's it seems like a good place to yeah awesome sounds good yeah yeah well thank all right. you guys so much for doing this yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. see you man awesome. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was fun dude cool 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 yeah, yeah. 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 this is my first year so much for listening a huge thanks to dylan eric doug and steve for their time and stay tuned for the next episode of the heavy metal bebop podcast coming soon